0: My style of leadership is a lot of of guiding and, and hands off. You know, you hire the right people, you get the right, the right mindset, the right attitude into the organization, and you let those people thrive and, and be better than you. I mean, there's areas that I'm really not very good at, and there's a lot of folks that are scared to hire people. It's like, oh gosh, they're gonna make me look bad. I'm like, no the better people make you look better yeah. Um, and, and get those folks on board and let them do their job and let them do what they're
1: trained to do. Welcome to the Attraction Pros podcast, where we discuss the latest trends and challenges facing the attractions industry today. We chat with some of the top leaders in the field and provide resources that will help develop your career in this great industry. I am Josh Liebman. I am obsessed with the guest experience and helping attractions make that their top priority for success.
2: And I'm Matt Heller. I am passionate about organizational
1: effectiveness, leadership development, and employee engagement. Now sit upright, hold on tight, and get ready for the Attraction Pros Podcast. Hey, Josh, how are you? Hey, Matt,
2: I'm doing awesome. How are you? I am fantastic.
1: All right. It's like you had a whammy bar on that one.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, a whammy bar is a piece of a guitar that you can wah, 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 wah. Anyway, that's,
1: we're, not, we're not guitar pros. Oh, well, I was going to share how I even <laughs> learned that. Well, your brother's a guitar player, right? Yes, but this was even uh, even before that. At Hard Rock Park, the bar at the front of the park was called the Whammy Bar. And I didn't realize that that actually referenced anything until one day I I either asked someone what it meant or I made a fool of myself by <laughs> anything that I didn't know. But regardless, that's how I learned what it was. And then in Guitar Hero, I enjoyed using it. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Not an actual guitar. So like you said, I, I don't have the talent. My brother does though.
2: <laughs> and your dad. And your dad yes. is a So he's a bassist well. too. But yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Basses, bases don't have whammy bars. Right. Yeah. <laughs> So on the next episode of Guitar Pro, we will tell you all about other whammy bars. But I have a question for you.
1: As long as you do a drum solo next time, too. But yes, I look forward work, to your question.
2: I'll work that in. Um do you remember from your childhood any iconic cartoons that you watched or any shows that you watched when you were younger?
1: You know, I was a really big fan of The Simpsons. Okay. Maybe not like early childhood, but like kind of getting into like preteen to teenage years. Prior to that, it was just all the, I would say the classic stuff that was on Nickelodeon in the 90s. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. So
2: did you, did you see the Simpsons when the, when the characters came to life at Universal and then did you get, get to see the life-size Bart and
1: Homer and Marge? Yes and I think that there's something really special and nostalgic <laughs> about that type of immersive experience in a theme park or in any other type of uh, immersive environment. Absolutely. So I had an
2: experience a couple of months ago where I was actually touring the the workshop of our guest today and I got to see something from my childhood that was immediately recognizable. And it was, what was big, that? big Bird's foot. Okay. Yeah, walking through the uh, the the shop where things were being built and painted and doing all these different things and and I was going through there with Mark Rosenswag, one of our previous guests, and he said, "Here's Big Bird's foot," and it was unmistakable, and it looked perfect. It was it was wonderful, um, but it really got me thinking about how. I was then transported from my childhood, you know, watching Big Bird and watching the Cookie Monster, and you know all those kind of things, and now seeing it in in real life, and what 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 a journey that is, right? To go from seeing it on the screen to now seeing it in real life, and um, imagining what that would be if if all of Sesame Street was there. And I know that there's, you know, parks that have the the entire Sesame Street um, immersive experience, but just to see his foot was really. Really pretty special for me as a, as, a, as a fan of Sesame Street growing up.
1: Now, Matt, I don't know if you recall this. You probably do. But our most savvy and loyal fans of the podcast will know that this is not the first time we have talked about a Sesame Street character's feet in a statue. That's true. That's true. <laughs> Cookie Monster has feet. Cookie
2: Monster has feet. Too. He does. He does. Which I never, never would have thought. Um, but yes, yeah, so today we have a pretty special guest, Nate Theme from 3DX Scenic.
1: Yes, so excited to chat with Nate all about Scenic design. We talk about the challenges uh, and excitement of working with various intellectual property and really bringing these brands and stories to life in immersive environments. And we touch on a lot of... Uh, specific specific themes, I would say. Sesame Street comes up a number of times throughout the episode, but we also talk about trolls. We talk about Harry Potter. We talk about uh, Santa, and uh, they, they work with a lot of malls and do Christmas events. Um, we even talk about a, a unique pirate ship as well. That was uh, just an incredible story that Nate shares about the process of designing that. Uh, And we get to learn all about what it's like to be a part of the process of bringing these stories, bringing these brands and uh, these scenic experiences to life.
2: Now, spoiler alert, you're not going to find this pirate ship in any theme park anywhere and we'll let nate tell that story or Um, resort or hotel (laughs) exactly most places you would expect to see a a pirate ship (laughs) exactly exactly you know one of the things i think that was most fascinating to me this is a a bit of a a peel back the onion uh, episode because there were so many things that i found fascinating about the process like you said we get to kind of walk through the process um and how nate talks about the manufacturing of it and the design of it and the creativity not just on the creation of what it's going to look like, but also the creativity that has to go into actually putting it together and whether it's a permanent installation or whether it's going to move or whether there's wind considerations.
1: To me, all that was really, really fascinating. Yeah. So put on your onion goggles because we are peeling back the layers and we are going deep. I'm so excited to get to this interview with Nate Theme. And I'm excited to wear onion goggles.
0: (laughs) Nate Theme, welcome to the Attraction Pros podcast. How are you doing today? I'm fine, Matt. Thank you so much for uh, uh, inviting us. A nice, cold, blistery, wintry day in Cincinnati, but we're all good.
2: <laughs> good, good. Well, so you just mentioned Cincinnati, and at the time of this uh, recording, the Bengals are moving on in the playoffs. Are you a Bengals fan?
0: Oh yeah, hoo day, baby! Um, we're going to the Super <laughs> Bowl. That's what we've been saying every year for the last twenty years, but uh, thirty years. But <laughs> we'll see what happens this year. It's exciting. The uh, city's a buzz for sure. Excellent,
2: excellent. Well, can you tell us, Nate, a little bit, not necessarily about the Bengals, but a little about yourself and 3DX Scenic?
0: Yeah, so um, I'm the vice president of Scenic uh, here at 3DX Scenic. Uh, I've been here for going on 21 years in March of next year. Uh, my career path has been kind of interesting. You know, back in high school, I was involved in the theater uh, in my high school, building sets, running lights, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then I've, I've transitioned into kind of more of a sales role. But then when I had this opportunity here at 3DX, it just really, really spoke to me. Um, a lot of fun, exciting folks that I work with. 3DX actually started as a scenic fabrication department of a live events company. Um, the we traditionally did corporate rock and roll, you know, corporate theater. Um, big, large uh, events and touring pieces and things like that. And we were the support arm for that um, live event group. We've since grown beyond that a little bit, quite a bit, actually. Um, at the time, probably 95% of all of our annual revenue was coming from supporting live events, building flats and scene pieces and, and rolling stages and things of that nature for, for these theatrical type, type events we were when kings island was actually purchased by paramount way back in the day um kings island had their own internal scenic fabrication company a couple of those folks came over and started working for us and that kind of got us more into the the theme park world and we've since been marketing towards that quite a bit working directly with the theme parks with other experiential agencies and design firms things like that and now we've kind of flipped the tables a little bit that Eighty-five to ninety percent of all of our annual revenue is coming from outside of our own um, live events. Folks, we're still supporting that on, on a fairly regular basis, um, but it's it's kind of moved beyond that. So it's been it's been a really neat transition um, over the years. Uh, again, I've been here for twenty years. I came here to start the. We have a large format print company. I started that division. Um, since moved into the. marketing and business management of 3dx and sales and then just kind of work my way up to where i'm at now so
1: that's really interesting, uh, particularly kind of the, the transition and almost spin-off from the live events of, of really operating as a department within a larger organization. But then, like you mentioned, Kings Island being able to to see the the caliber and the quality, and saying we you know kind of we're you know we'd, we'd love to have kind of that uh, that level as well, and then um, just being able to now support the internal business, as well as, as well as uh, various other businesses within the entertainment industry. I, you know, we, you talked about how you know, you've, you've been with 3DX for, you know, for a couple of decades now. And can you talk a little bit about kind of the the evolution of design and fabrication and maybe improvements made along the way that you've been able to uh, kind of notice or even reflect on of, of your time uh, in the business?
0: Well, for sure. I mean, it's, it's kind of been, Parallel with the world as we know um, with uh, technology and the advancements uh, of that, you know, the, the days of doing drafting and kind of designing and building on the fly and table saws and all that kind of fun stuff are, are, are kind of gone. We still have that. And quite honestly, our table saws and miter boxes are primarily used for myself and others on our weekend home projects, but everything is now more on the front end. All the design and the CAD work is all done in CAD, in Rhino, all these different 3D um, formats and digital sculpting and things like that. Um, all of the the labor is left to the computers, the CNC routers, the robotic sculpting arms, the plasma cutters, all of that. And I kind of make it attuned to um, our designers and our, our project coordinators are almost like puzzle uh, folks, they're designing the puzzle pieces. These machines are cutting them all out, but we still need the, the fabricators and these talented craftsmen to reassemble these these puzzle makers or these puzzle assemblers to bring all these pieces back together, um, to turn it into the pieces that uh, that we're providing for all of these clients. It's really, we kind of, like to say it's like old school craftsmanship meets new world technology, and that's truly the case, and it's just evolved um, exponentially over the last decade, even. Um, I remember when we first bought our first CNC router, um, it was a life changer. Uh, Cause now you can, and one of the first projects we did is uh, we had a client wanting us to make a curved, almost like a cylindrical room for a brand activation uh, kind of thing. And the CNC router just made it so much easier to do that. We definitely could have done that with the, the old school craftsmanship and getting the geography classes out from high school and things like that to get all the curves and angles. But boy, you throw that in a computer and let the machines do the work, makes it a whole lot easier. You know,
2: Nate, when you just said the, you know, people who put together puzzles, it made me think back to when I got to tour your facility a couple of months ago, and um, your, your folks were putting together um. Uh, some characters from sesame street and there was yeah. this big thing where there's a whole bunch of different characters and i didn't take any pictures or put it on the internet because it was you know private at <laughs> but it was <laughs> what was so interesting is you know you saw half of the characters there and then half of the framework right and then obviously when it's all done that framework will be completely invisible and I was talking to one of your, one of your uh, fabricators, and they were telling me how they really have to be creative in how they, they create that framework so that it can not only hold up Big Bird or Grouch or whoever it is, but they, they can now put them in all kinds of different positions. Can you kind of maybe dive in a little bit more into how that kind of puzzle work goes on and what kind of creativity has to go into that kind of process?
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, you're exactly right. I don't know which, uh, I don't know if you're looking at Elmo's Castle or the totem when you were. I think it was the totem. The totem, yeah. Yeah. Um, So yeah, for sure. So you've got this finished product. You've got this pretty picture that somebody gives us and says, here, I want you to make this thing. Are the project coordinators and the project managers on the front end, they have to deconstruct that pretty picture and figure out all the internal armatures and the structures um, that go into holding that. But you're still dealing with kind of an organic thing i mean the fiberglass and and composites um, we're we're doing spraying and hand laying and and things of that nature we're creating the molds out of the out of the, uh, the cnc routers and the robots but there's still a little bit of tweaking that has to happen on site and some creativity to make sure everything matches up just perfectly um you can do a fantastic job on the front end But then everything that you prove on paper, you've also got to prove uh, in the real world. And those two tend to have a little bit of creativity and and adjustment um, when it's all said and done. We built a, it was interesting, we had an opportunity to build a touring piece for the movie Trolls uh, a few years ago when that first came out. And we needed to build a, uh, they wanted us to build a, uh, a shipping container that opened up. It was all hydraulics. You hit a button, walls come up, floors come down hair comes up all sorts of fun stuff like that so we started designing this stuff working with the engineers and did everything exactly right on paper that was supposed to happen and things like that well when we were testing the thing the one door the hinge kept popping it kept breaking the weld on like what the heck's going on here so we're back and forth to the engineers he's recalculating we're doing some of this he's like oh why don't you move this over here to the left a little bit so we cut the thing off move it over to the left and then it worked perfect. There's just there's just a lot of back and forth, and open communication needs to happen to make all these things come together. Yeah,
1: that's really interesting. Particularly, I if you are fabricating something that is static versus something that is more dynamic and and more mobile, mm-hmm. uh, what are the I, I guess kind of the the difference in the process that you look at from the you know from the design standpoint, from the fabrication standpoint uh, for something that will just remain still versus something that has a lot of moving parts in it.
0: The moving part, definitely get the folks. We have a whole other division that makes things move um, and, and uh, makes doors open, floors move, pulleys go up and down. They have a lot of input on what is the mechanism that's making it move because you still need to, to, to do that. But then how do we make that look pretty and how do we make that engineer to work together? So that's a, that's a whole different dynamic. But even when you're having a static thing, you still have to look at, okay, how big is this thing? What are the wind loads it's gonna it's gonna take? Is it going in California? What are the seismic loads that we have to worry about? So there's still a lot going back and forth. It's just when you make things move, it's just adding another layer to it. It's not hard, it's just something you have to plan for and make sure that you account for all of that.
2: Yeah. Well, and with all of the structural pieces, you have to make it look good too. Right. Right. And and of course, if you're working with a specific IP like Sesame street, you know, it's got to look perfect. And I remember again, walking through your, your, your shop and um, Mark, who I was with, he showed me big bird's foot, you know, so iconic. (laughs) Right. Right. Um, But I, I would, I guess the question is, you know, working with an IP like that um, you've got to, I'm sure, have very strict standards about what things look like and, and how, they're, how they're presented. So can you talk a little bit about maybe you know, working through those projects with an IP and, and kind of working to those exacting standards?
0: Yeah, for sure. It's, the, the process is, is still the same, whether it's an IP or not ip What ends up happening is it just, it just takes a little bit more time. Um, I love working with Sesame Place. And the workshop and another ips that are so protective of their brand that's awesome because you're right it's, it's big bird's foot it has to be exactly that and so there is a lot of back and forth that needs to happen between between the client between the designers between whoever's going to sign off on on the final look of that um so it just takes more time and with COVID happening right now that doesn't uh, afford you the opportunity to do a lot of insight visits depending on on everybody's uh, corporate policies or personal feelings or what have you we end up doing a lot of virtual um i'd be out in the shop and drew and rachel rachel's our charge artist drew's the project coordinator for the sesame project they're walking around with their phones and they're okay showing this or seeing it in different light taking it outside seeing the different shadings and things like that um so when you're, you're dealing with that it's just it's just a little bit more time Uh, involved to make sure that everybody's happy with the with the end result and um because that's at the end of the day that's what has to happen i don't remember which one mentioned it but it's got to look pretty Um, nobody cares how it got there they just care that it got there and it looks beautiful (laughs) (laughs) and and that's where the on the back end uh uh, the paint team and uh the finish team does a fantastic job of hiding up all the guts on the inside yeah walking up in the statue of liberty you know, it's yeah.
1: ugly. It's ugly inside there, but outside, <laughs> freaking awesome. It's beautiful. <laughs> so, what's that collaborative process like? And particularly with, with working IP, maybe it extended even with with non IP. You know, we talk about you know Big Bird's foot, or you know Big Bird itself needs to look exactly like that. Well, the folks on the Sesame Street side, I'm sure that they've got you know the, the framework for the dimensions of that because there's. There's probably the costume characters obviously there's the costume on the show but of course that's a completely different function because that's for a you know designed for a human specifically versus a a statue or kind of a uh kind of something that's that's fabricated uh what is that like you said there's a lot of well normally in-person meetings but lately a lot of virtual meetings and that and that back and forth of making sure that spe- that specification is particularly to you know to exactly what it needs to be. So I guess how do you collaboratively come to that point of saying, well, this is what it looks like on your end, and now we've taken in this is what it needs to look like on our end, and making sure that those are completely in sync with each other. It
0: it, it starts it starts at the very beginning, especially when you're dealing with an IP. And we'll, we'll go with Big Bird. Um, it, it's a, a three dimensional thing. We have to have that three-dimensional file. We, we have that, that, that computer file that the robot knows, that the designers know, so that it's exactly the shape it needs to be, all of that fun stuff. It's a little bit different. There's, there's a lot of folks out there that are doing hand sculpting, beautiful, beautiful work, but you're subject to an artist's interpretation of that we don't have that luxury when you're doing that IP. It's like, no, there's no interpreting going on. This is exactly what it has to be. So that gets the actual dimension of what it is. But then the other piece is, you know, we talk about real estate, location, location, location. When you're talking IP, you're talking sample, sample, samples, every single thing that we do do for any particular project. And we'll, while we're on Sesame street, we'll keep, keep on that for out there in Chula Vista. Um, we created four different samples for every texture, every uh, uh, paint sample, every every look, everything that went out there. One sample stays with us, one sample goes to the designer, one sample goes to the end client, in this case SeaWorld, and one sample went to um, Sesame Workshop because they're the ones that give the final approval on that. So everybody would make one big sample and basically cut it into four pieces. So here's what we're doing, here's the techniques we did to get it to that point, and we follow those like, like, a, like a recipe. You know, we're, we're baking a cake, so to speak, we have to follow those steps exactly so that we. Can, it's a repeatable thing. Um, and it's that kind of communication back and forth from the beginning. Here's what we're doing. Are we cool with that? And if they're not, we make tweaks along the way. So we're only making tweaks on that particular sample versus on the finished piece. So when the finished piece comes out, that's exactly what they're looking for.
2: You know, Nate, not to um, talk too much about Sesame Street, but did you ever think when you were a kid that as an adult, you'd be spending this much time talking about Big Bird and Sesame Street?
0: I love it, man. I grew up with Sesame Street. It was fantastic. I joked about the fact when I first went out to the workshop, I'm like, hey, I know how to get to Sesame Street now. It's an airplane (laughs) ride, a subway, and a taxi, and you're there, and you're in Queens. (laughs) Yeah, It's it's, it's been a lot of fun. It's so. because the characters i mean i'm 51 years old so i'm a i'm a kid of big bird and and oscar and all those guys so it was it's it's a lot of fun it's very magical to deal with this but not just those guys i mean everything we do is it's it's magical it's so exciting to see a little pencil sketch that somebody gives us and then you see it go through the progress to the final to the final deliverable i mean i still get geeked up about that you know being being in the industry that we are and i've, I've done a little bit within this company um lot lot like the av and projectors and screens i'm like yeah that sounds boring you know <laughs> a projector is a projector is a projector you know don't don't tell my video guys my video engineers <laughs> that but the the tangible really cool fun things that we're working on is what really gets me going in the morning
1: yeah I, so, we talked about kind of the, the fabrication process and the, the robot arms and everything that you have on site. How much of this can be done in advance versus maybe some of the larger scale? projects, like the whole Sesame Street kind of town area uh, that I imagine a lot of that needs to be done on site, but at the same time, you're working with theme parks or you're working with malls and they've got a regular daily operation that, you know, mm-hmm. you, you probably don't want to disrupt too much. So how much of that is, is able, I guess, to be to be done in advance and loaded in on site, maybe overnight or so versus kind of the, the boots on the ground of work that needs to be done um, on location? we try to do to have the piece
0: leave our shop as finished as it possibly can um for that very reason you usually have a pretty short window to to do the install and the notes and the touch-ups and and things like that so the vast majority of it's done done in-house um and we design around that malls for example we've done a lot of christmas displays uh, over the years and when you look at those things you look at them a little bit different the really big ones every single piece had to fit through a person door. So, I mean, wrap your head around that on how how do you make this thing this massive and huge, and it still has to fit through a door that you or I could walk through. So you've got to design that on the very front end. Again, this is where the the computers and the CAD really comes into play. You design where those those seams uh, land um, to hide them as much as possible, Um, but you do all the lion's work on the front end you get it to the site, you do the assembly, and then do your touch-ups and notes and, and things like that to hide those scenes as much as possible. Malls, for example, whenever we've done those, those are always after hours. We don't start working until nine or ten o'clock at night because it's 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 creating the creating the experience and the magic that you walk in the next morning. It's like oh my gosh, Santa just arrived. Or uh, out in uh, uh, the parks, you try to do it either at night or when the the uh, or parks are closed. They're off hours or what have you. We just finished a project down in, in Texas. Um, that uh, the park was closed for I don't know, cleanup and renovations and things like that. So we it's like, all right, we've got three days to get in here and get this stuff done. Let's get it all knocked out and get out of there so that when the, the guests start coming back again, the world's been transformed. Mm-hmm. You just
2: brought up something that this might seem like a bit of a rabbit trail, but I'm, I'm really curious, like from the design standpoint, all the things you're talking about to me are fascinating. Like you have to build this or design this piece so it can fit through a person door. But then you've also got these pieces that are really big that, like you said, have seams and they got to be put together somehow. So maybe the question is, how do you design it so that the seams are as invisible as possible or, you know. at at a certain part in the design where you wouldn't notice it as much, obviously you're going to do touch up on, on site, but so kind of, kind of walk us through that process of, of you, you've got this great picture of a, of a design, but then you have to figure out how to almost take it apart and and then be able to rebuild it.
0: You use the, you use the architectural um, visuals to hide those things. Um, Bricks are super easy. You create the dental molding. You know so they're all they're all overlapping like this and so you don't have a scene that just goes straight up and down it zigzags back and forth if you have something that's a little bit more organic um we did we did a project that was uh it was christmas and wizarding world out in salt lake city it was a big uh, uh harry potter themed christmas display out, out in the mall um you create the snow caps and maybe your scenes here and the snow cap hides over top of it so you use the you use what you have and you got to be a little creative um, use the, 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 visuals and the architecture that you have to, to hide those things. And it also is different on if it's a temporary or a permanent, um, display temporary, you're never going to hide everything, but it's, you, you do your best to do that permanent. You kind of make the panels, you put them up and then you go back and you fill them in with, with the, the, uh, um, sealers and, and then do your paint, put, paint touch-ups on those.
2: Okay. Yeah, I suppose if it's a Christmas display, you've also got tinsel and stuff you can kind of put in front of it, or you know, <laughs> you know, whatever it is. So, yeah, right.
0: there's there's always ways to do it. And next time you're at a mall with a big Christmas display, look at it a little bit more closely. like, oh, there's a scene. Okay, no, we'll, we'll absolutely
1: <laughs> do that. Start start trying. I, I don't mean to
0: take the magic away from you, but. Uh,
1: <laughs> Well, there there is the I guess the the magic that is part of it. And when you were talking about kind of everything that's done overnight in a mall or in a theme park, uh, I'm I'm just thinking of the scene from Elf where the the mall closes at night and then Buddy just stays up all night and everyone walks in the morning and it's like this you know Christmas winter wonderland, um, and and kind of being able to kind of do <laughs> kind of kind of be that Buddy the Elf overnight. I guess um, I, I'm also interested in the. On, on the business side, on the end of the client, uh, one of the things that I saw on your website is about how branded immersive environments can help increase per capita spending. So I'm wondering if, if you're able to connect those dots. The example there, or the case study is, is with uh, the Seven Seas Food Festival at SeaWorld San Antonio. Um, so whether it's that specifically, or just kind of broader, how does this overall influence the spending of the guest who's visiting the park or the mall or, or whatever the, uh, the facility, the venue is?
0: This this is always kind of fun because it's um, our job, like my wife has actually told me, she's like, man, you sell fun. And it's like, yeah, we kind of do. And our job is to create this immersive environment. You know, every day of our lives, all the information that we're getting is typically two-dimensional. You know, I mean, we're looking at us. I, I I get it. We're 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 on a video, but it's it's all two dimensional. I'm looking at a screen. I'm looking at a poster. I'm looking at the TV. I'm looking at the movie. You know, they've tried to do that a little bit, uh, create that more three dimensional environment in the movies with the 3D glasses, which make me sick. By the way, I can't I can't do those. <laughs> VR is kind of getting big. I can't do those either. But that's 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 very that's very cool. But we're trying, we're all about creating a, a, an immersive, dimensional environment. Um, and <clears throat> when we, to try to tie in the, the food festivals and things like that, we're trying to let people escape. You know, we go to the theme parks, we go to the malls, we go to whatever to, to escape our day-to-day lives. The stressors of what we got going on, the, the whole COVID crap that's going on right now. Um, we try to go there to escape and the better that we can create this dimensional environment and this experience, the easier it is to transport you out of your day-to-day stressors into something else. Um, and that's, that's really what we're trying to do with all this stuff. And when you're talking like the, the food festivals or any of these, these brand, um, environments, you know, they're always especially at the theme parks, they're trying to increase the per capita spending. The longer we can keep somebody there at a park. The better off the everybody's going to be, they're going to have a better experience. The park's going to see more revenue. And they're not only trying to attract the day visitors, but also to get the the, the season ticket holders back again and again. It's like, oh, I didn't see this, this particular area. Um, let's, let's go check this one out next time we're there.
2: You know, Nate, what that made me really think of is going to someplace that does have the theming and the immersive environment around, for example, you know, buying a, a food item, right. Versus going up to, you know, a kiosk or just a, you know, a cart that maybe have that has that same food item, but you're not as enticed. Like you're, you're not, you're not into the story yet and thinking, Oh, I really do want a churro because this whole thing has gotten me into the, into the mood for a churro. Whereas over here, it's just, you know, Pavement, garbage can, churro stand, garbage can. You know, so I can I can totally see how that could kind of put people in the mood um, to want to to want to you know sample some of those things where maybe they wouldn't wouldn't be as uh,
0: as apt to do so. It 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 it's almost like trying to tap into our inner child. When you were a kid, what was your favorite toy? We all like to have books read to us and things like that, but I can almost guarantee it was not a book, it was not a poster, it was not a picture. It was a teddy bear, it was a truck, it was a dimensional thing that allowed you to, to get your imagination going and, and transport you to the fireplace or the or the, the burning the burning building to take your fire truck to or to take your, your Barbie into into the dollhouse. It was an experience, it was a dimensional thing, and that's what we're trying to do. It's your happiest times are typically when you were a kid. You know, you don't have the stressors of how am I going to pay the bills and all this kind of crap that all three of us are dealing with these days. But, um, it's, it's, it's so much fun to laugh and be a kid and we don't always get to do that. And we're fortunate enough to be able to create that experience and help, help, uh, our clients create that experience for their guests. Awesome.
1: And I've got to imagine that's just so fulfilling for you and for your entire team to be able to create, uh, those types of experiences and those memories that uh, I mean, I mean, you used just the, the, the word escapism, which is you know mm-hmm. exactly what what our industry does and provides uh, to the world. And like you said, we we need it now more than ever because of just yeah. everything we've all been through the last couple of years. Um, it allows me to brag a
0: little bit too because when we we're doing Christmas displays. I got to tell my kids that I was working for Santa Claus.
1: There you
0: go. <laughs> <laughs> a little older now, so they they get it, but. <laughs>
1: So we've gotten a, a little bit of, I would say, a, a sampling of some of the projects that you've worked with. Talk about you know Christmas and Santa Claus. We talked about Sesame Street. We talked about uh, trolls. talk about you know a, a couple others. Are there any that come to mind um, that are among the most unique projects you've done, or maybe obscure from a fabrication standpoint, or maybe something that's just, uh, hey, this is, this one's a, a real head scratcher, but an exciting challenge to take on.
0: Yeah, the one that kind of jumps to mind is um it wasn't a real it, it turned out absolutely beautiful. I I I can't show you pictures or tell you anything about it, NDA stuff like that. Um, but it was actually for a private residence. Uh that we were asked from a developer to build a life-size replica of a sunken pirate ship that was gonna go underwater in this gentleman's pool that people could swim around and scuba dive and and all this kind of stuff. So we're like, oh well that's interesting. I wish I had this kind of money that, that this <laughs> gentleman <laughs> has. Um, but it was so we're like, all right, so we find again we got to start with a 3D file. And we we got a 3D file of a of a uh, uh, pirate ship um, sent it off to the clients like hey this is kind of what we're looking at is this cool what kind of color schemes are you wanting so we Dealt with the color scheme. So you want a specific name on the on the side of the ship, a particular figurehead on the front of the of the pirate ship. You know the old the old figureheads on the front of these things. Um, so we've got the front half and the back half that were at an angle sitting at the base of this pool. And there's skeletons that are climbing through the uh, uh, uh attached to the, the floor of the pool and um there's a cannon cradle that uh, we were supposed to have build the actual cannon that goes into this thing, but I got a call and it was like, hey, we don't need the cannon anymore because he found an 1800s actual cannon that he's going to hang in his bar that is underwater, by the way, so you can see all this stuff uh, through there. I'm like, holy cow, this is crazy. Um, But that one's been a lot of fun. It started before COVID. It was supposed to, it's still sitting in our shop, as a matter of fact. It was supposed to install last year but construction's been delayed and so it's we're just kind of holding it until they're until they're ready to go with it but that one was very non-traditional um (laughs) to deal with but i'm excited to be able to get it in there and then we can actually take pictures and start talking about it so yeah
1: so the, the interesting thing there is that if the client was like a resort or a hotel like, it, almost everything you just said would sound completely normal. <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> it's if I'm that's just completely, like, it's the same specs, the same scope, like, all of that, right. that. It's the client that made it incredibly right. unique
0: Exactly. You're thinking, oh, Treasure Island out in, uh, out in Vegas? I mean, think of that underwater. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost backyard. <laughs> but it, it, it turned out absolutely beautiful. Our Our charge artist, she kind of drove the creative... Uh, on this one and i mean we've got barnacles that are that are on there and it's 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 absolutely beautiful it's fantastic
2: yeah i'm glad you brought that one up because i did get to see that in the uh, in the shop and just it it is truly amazing and i'm 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 excited for when you do get to share pictures of it because it really is and it may it made me think of being like a goldfish in a <laughs> In, a, in an aquarium, right? Where you're swimming around and you, you've got the treasure chest and you've got all that kind of stuff. So that made me kind of think of that, that that would kind of be my experience, I guess, if that were in my pool.
0: The, the other crazy thing about this is I don't know how much Mark shared with you, but if, when, if you've ever been to Bass Pro Shops, there's there's timing you can go out there where you can go watch the bigger fish. They feed the bigger fish, the little fish. Okay. So if you're, if you're into that kind of a thing, you can go watch that. Apparently this particular person has the same kind of a deal going on. He's got a little fish swimming around there, but then had everybody sitting in his bar out this big James Bond-esque kind of window into this this undersea adventure. Hits a button, the big fish come out and start eating the little fish. So it's like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) I'm pretty sure that the three of us combined could probably quadruple our salaries and not make the kind of money that this person (laughs) makes. Right, Right, right.
2: well, that kind of begs my, the, the question that I have, too, that we, we prefaced a little bit before we started the, the actual recording was, you know, leading your team through all these kind of different challenges and creative um, projects. And you've got so many different types of people, you know, on the on the staff that have to be there to make 3DX Scenic work. So what's your philosophy or what's your leadership style to make sure that everybody's got what they need and that they can kind of go forward full steam ahead?
0: Each department has a, a leader for that, that department. Um, and I encourage them to research the next best thing that's out there. What will make your job better, make your job easier, make you more efficient, whatever. And um, Come to me with, okay, here, here's what it is. Here's the cost. Like start looking at ROI. It's okay, that makes sense. We're going to save this, this that, and the other thing on these folks. and um, We move forward with that. I mean, we don't always get the opportunity to, we don't have, you know, a wallet that we can just open up and spend <laughs> whatever, um, but it's giving people the opportunity to make their make their jobs more fun, make their jobs easier, and make their jobs better um, along the way. And like I like I mentioned earlier, we hire the right people in the right positions because I don't know how to paint. I have no freaking clue how to do it. I mean, I'm lucky to draw a stick figure. I can't, (laughs) it just doesn't work. So it's like, all right, Rachel, you do your thing and and work on that. Um, One of the biggest challenges, it just kind of goes back to managing all these different groups of people. One of the biggest challenges is I hate to put a designer in a box or a creative person to try to pull them back. But sometimes you kind of have to. You know, it's like, hey, we're good. We're good. I know you want to tweak it a little bit more, but we're, we're good. We're good with this because we've got to be able to get the thing done and on time, on budget and, and out the door for the client. And we pride ourselves in exceeding expectations uh, when people get get the products that we that we have like, oh, my gosh, this is even better than I thought it was going to be.
1: Are there any examples that you can share of, you know, you said you, you encourage the heads of each department to research the next best thing of what's going to make their job easier, more efficient, more fun? Uh, what are some of the things that have come out of those conversations or that research that ultimately has led to whether it's an even better oiled machine or just overall productivity or employee satisfaction? Um, <laughs>
0: one, I'll give you two. Um, one was actually in, in the pain area. There was an there was a they needed more space, um, and they came to suggestions like, Hey, how do we move this over here? We take a little bit out of the assembly area and move that stuff around, and it's like, Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. They let them breathe a little bit more, um, and it gives, gives them some ownership in making their space a little bit better. Um, the other one is in composites, uh, the folks that are doing fiberglass and carbon fiber layups and, and all this kind of stuff that we're, we're now into the polyurea hard coat um, systems as well. And it was that, it was a polyurea system. They are coming in it's like, man, we're getting these opportunities, but they don't need fiberglass, they need a hard coat over, over, over foam what's it gonna to take to get to that point? So we start researching, okay, we need this type of gun, this type of sprayer, we need this type of booth and so on and so forth. Start looking at the opportunities and the ROI on that. It's like, all right, let's do it. Let's go ahead and get that thing get that thing moving. Um, and interestingly enough, we're gonna get all that or we've got all that, um, but it actually decreased the amount of space that composites have. So hopefully in the next four or five years, we'll be increasing that space as they, as they continue to grow. Gotcha.
2: One of the other things uh, that you mentioned again, kind of before we started recording, was that um, you're at, you were actually a funeral di- funeral director, right? Yeah. Um, and I think that's the first time we've had a former funeral director on the uh, on the podcast. But um, you also said that it really helped you with having maybe difficult conversations. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about that and how that has has helped you as you moved up in your roles.
0: Uh, I'm definitely the last man to let you down. So, <laughs> <laughs> i got a ton of them
1: <laughs> you'll be here all week the levity here it week. is important in that type of role <laughs>
0: <laughs> no it was uh, um i truly enjoyed doing that i mean you're taking an, an inevitable situation that were that all of us are going to experience whether our own selves or family members and things like that and making it as tolerable as possible, um, to kind of, to get through things and allowing the grieving process and, um, having conversations that kind of make people feel uncomfortable, but you still need to have them and doing that with, with grace, with transparency, with, um, patience and, and allowing people to have a conversation, not telling them here's what we're doing, but having a conversation say, here's the end goal. How do we get to that? You know, how do we, how do we get to that, that process and making people very collaborative and having those, those conversations to get where they get where they need to be. And which the same kind of conversations happen with clients, you know, we'll get a, we'll get a pencil sketch of what needs to happen. And at some point in time, um, reality needs to meet, um, dreams (laughs) that we're not quite there yet with Obi-Wan Kenobi hologram kind of stuff yet. (laughs) We keep getting asked for doing that kind of stuff, but we're not quite there yet. But having those conversations and working together, okay, what makes the most sense? How do we accomplish what you're looking for um, in the best possible, realistic, budget-friendly, time-friendly method? Um, And I think that it's just, I've had a lot of difficult conversations um, back when I was, you know, the whole... Uh, funeral world. And I've had a lot of different, difficult conversations uh, in in my career here, as well as as past careers. And it's, I want to attribute it all to, to the funeral home. I think a lot of it's my, my age and treachery. My dad used to say old age and treachery will always overcome youth and enthusiasm. And (laughs) the older I get, the more I believe that, you know, your life experiences just allows you to talk with people as opposed to
1: Tell people. Do those difficult conversations, whether it's you know, in the current environment with with um, you know working with clients or back in the in the funeral business, do they become less difficult? Do they become easier as you start to kind of pinpoint areas of communication and being able to kind of see the response from the other individual and I guess almost see it like a feedback loop of of oh that worked really well or oh I can't communicate this way because it's it's not being as well received and then does it just naturally over time become i guess easier or more comfortable
0: i think more comfortable is a better term than easier because when you're dealing with you're dealing with people's emotions and because every you, you never know what somebody's going through you know you're driving down the road and you're mad that this guy cuts you off or, or what have you it's so easy to just to flip up on the bird and be all upset by him but you have no idea what that guy's going through his his wife may have just left him. His mom may have just died. He may have just gotten canned. Um, it's, it's having the, I guess, the patience um, to to understand or at least empathize with what people are going through. So I don't think it gets easier necessarily, um, Josh, but it definitely gets a little bit more comfortable, and you start knowing the the paths to take. Um, so I guess it could, I guess you could consider it easier. But I don't know. It's never easy to have those conversations with people because everybody's dealing with things differently.
2: Yeah, you know, you mentioned the paths, and that's kind of what I was thinking. Is that the more you have those conversations, you notice the trends, right? Yeah. And you notice when when someone's kind of going this way. Okay, I've dealt with that one before. I'll kind of put on that hat. I can kind of kind of guide them, and then they'll throw you a curveball. So it's going on a different different path. So um, I guess, how do you notice? or what do you notice in the trends of, of those different conversations to say, Hey, we're going to, we really have to go someplace more serious, or this is where we can kind of turn. And now we can talk about improving performance. Like, what do you look for in those, in those
0: conversations? I look for ownership on, on everybody's part to, to realize it's like, Oh yeah, I did really good there. Or "I, I can do better here um and getting people to realize that um, yeah there's, there's there's areas that we all can improve um to make ourselves better whether it's in our own personal lives or professional lives or, or what have you mm-hmm. and I, it's just observing i think um i'm not i am i i've i've changed a lot over the last probably 12 years um through different uh different happenings that have happened in my personal life to different happenings that have happened in my professional life that, that um, I feel I've gotten better at, at listening um, and understanding what what folks are going through. Um, but I think it's just observing and, and making sure that, that people are seeing themselves for who they are and that we're not making excuses um, mm-hmm. for things that we're doing. I'm not trying to call anybody out on things. You know, somebody, you know, if, if something happens in a project, it's like nobody's mad. Nobody's on a witch hunt. It's so, like, yeah, I, did, I could have done that better. Let's make sure, let's learn from that and not do it again.
1: Yeah. Nate, this has been uh, such a fascinating conversation. We're starting to um, wind down a little bit, get, uh, get close to the end. So in the, in the meantime here, I, if people wanted to uh, learn more about 3DX, uh, if they wanted to get a hold of you directly, where would you send them? Um,
0: website, www3 um, can. There's lots of good stuff that's on there. We're always updating that. <clears throat> you can reach out to me at ntheme, N-T-H-I-E-M-E, at 3dxscenic.com, info at 3dxscenic.com. Um, probably the best way to get on. I don't think anybody actually uses the phone anymore, but <laughs> 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 you're welcome to call us too, 513-469-1015. Um, but yeah, we'd love to hear from you and love to make you partners um, and be able to work together on some fun projects on the road. Absolutely.
2: And, you know, Nate, theme, of course, having the perfect name for working in the theme park world. Um, Nate, do you have any um, kind of last thoughts or last uh, words of wisdom for people who might be watching or listening?
0: I think um, patience. It's been a really crappy last couple of years um, and we're all slowly, slowly starting, starting to to wind things back up again. But there is light at the end of the tunnel. Um, it's not a train coming at us. It is, it is a good thing. Um, and things are going to get better. And I think just patience with everybody, patience with yourselves, with your family, with your employees, with your vendors, with your clients. Um, everything is taking a lot longer these days, the supply chains, all that kind of stuff. Um, and just have patience with everybody. And there's a lot of crappy things going on in the world. We can help reduce it or we can add do it. And if we are show a little patience and grace with everyone, I think we'll all be in a much better place.
1: Very well said. Uh, thank you for sharing that. I think that's a, a great note to end on as well. So Nate, once again, I uh, thank you for joining us. It was a pleasure having the opportunity to chat with you today. And for everyone out there who is watching and listening, just remember, we are all Attraction Pros. Thanks for listening to the Attraction Pros podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you can tune in when new episodes release. And even better, please leave us a review on iTunes. For more information, visit attractionpros.com.